You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Emo, yuppie, churchy, surfy, westy. One of the realities is life is full of stereotypes, right? There are all sorts of stereotypes, broad generalisations about who a group or a subculture of people are. And uh, if you're anything like me, you've progressed through at least half of that list over the course of your life. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. There seems to be a unique pattern if you observe the world that uh, if, you, if you embrace, if you accept, if you uh, take on those labels enough in your life, you actually become the very thing that people are calling you. begins to dictate who you are and they begin to transform you into that. These labels become a reality. Now the question is, well, what's wrong if it's a reality for people if they live purely by this label and this stereotype? And that is, it's, it's a challenge when it's the wrong fit. I mean, an identity that's sourced outside of God fits your life, that's what I'll say to you tonight, fits your life like a bad pair of heels. I mean, girls, you're with me, right? To some extent. To some extent. I mean, like a bad pair of heels, it, it maintains its functionality, but there's always going to be a level of discomfort and uh, a, a level of dissatisfaction with it. You see girls, band-aids on the feet. You know, if it gets really bad by 12 a.m. after a big function, you see the girls walking down the street just holding them in their hands. You know, like they're not, they're not serving its purpose. Right? It, just, it just doesn't quite fit. And what I'm trying to say to you is an identity sourced outside of God is like a bad pair of heels. The question I want to ask you tonight is, tonight is how, how do you know that you're not band-aiding your life like that as far as your identity is concerned? How do you know that you're not taking on an identity in your life that uh, it's discomfort, there's dissatisfaction, it, it, it fits but not quite? And you see, the question of this series, success significance, uh, the, the one question I've been asking each week and we'll continue to ask as we journey through the book of First John, is that are you trying to steal your significance from your success or are you living successfully out of your significance? And tonight... Uh, we look at this pattern of life that, you know, outside of God, your behavior dictates your identity. He's a good accountant. She's a great teacher. He's a great performer. Oh, she's that awesome doctor. Um, your, your behavior in the world tends to dictate your identity. And my question for you is, what if it was the other way around? What if your identity dictated your behavior? We all live with stereotypes, emo, yuppie, 80s boy band member. But tonight, this passage teaches us just one that will transform you to, to, to forever, pretty much. It's, it's what I call the unfathomable, unfathomable stereotype. And that is that you, are, you can be, if you're Christian, you are a kid of the king. You're a kid of the king, the stereotype that if anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ becomes children of God. That's what the passage teaches us tonight. It's pretty simple, but it's profound. Uh, it's deep, and we're going to get into it now. First John, book of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 1 through to 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. 
one of the things that's just uh, really got me chuffed at the moment is that I think more than ever in this place here at Northside is we've got, we've got people um, coming in, um, are really secretly asking themselves a question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Or people that are traveling with us that are not Christians, are just part of it all, asking themselves, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you guys might have heard me say it before, but there is a distinct difference between Christianity and Christianity. And it's not based on whether you live in Australia or New Zealand. You see, Christianity is what some people think... Some people think Christianity is, this Christianity where you adhere to certain beliefs and you live by good principles and you live a strict life and you just find the right answers and recite them and you try to be a good person. But see, the truth of this passage tonight here, as it says, if we're called children of God, that to be a Christian is a position. It's a standing. It's to have rights in some sense. What we'll learn, it's legal rights and access rights. You see, kids of the king have legal rights first up. Recently, um, here at Northside last year, we've had a family uh, that have taken up a adoption through their circumstances. It's been wonderful to watch. And, and, and I clearly remember, as I keep you posted with all the emails, is that in all, all of that anticipation, there was still a distinct line with this little guy at which they sent that wonderful email and they finally sent out and said, he's now ours. I don't know how much paperwork they had to go through and sign and the checks and the balances, but there was actually a point in which this uh, young guy wasn't theirs and once everything has been signed, he was theirs. He was their kid now. And so in, in that instant, he had, um, he, he had become theirs. He'd, he'd, he'd moved into the rights of all of that sort of family and what that would bestow. Now, here's the interesting. If that little guy had had a bad week, three days after they'd signed all the papers, I mean, do you give him back? <laughs> no. It doesn't sort of come with a return policy. You see, your, your behaviour and your attitude have no bearing on your position with the ultimate father. You need to get that right tonight. Like any good father, the bad behaviour, it doesn't diminish his love. It doesn't make him want to send you back to where you came from. In fact, like any good father, it makes him want to be more of a father to you. Oh, come on, my son. Come on, my daughter. Come on, you know you shouldn't be living like that. It, it, it doesn't diminish the love. It increases the love towards you. And so in that sense, why? It's because legally kids stand upon their position. Once you're a kid, you're a kid. You don't lose the heart of the father because you've had a bad week. Why? It's because in the first verse, it's, it's a word that we, we skip over. In, in, the, in the first verse, it says, How great is the love of the father that he has lavished upon us. You know, I used to think this was a line from a Stephen Curtis Chapman song. It's actually in the Bible. And... Um, <laughs> How great that he's lavished upon us. What is the literal translation with lavished um, literally means to bestow, to give as a present, which is a really weird way to think about that when you're talking about a love relationship with kids, and family and that sort of thing. But, but, but one of the best ways to put it is um, in a marriage, when you get together and you stand up there on uh, the altar like Sarah will be doing soon and Mark and we'll all get there and we'll witness all the wonderful things that are going to be happening there and there becomes this definitive moment in which they will both bestow all it means to be them and their love for one, one another to the other person. They, they, they give it to the other person uh, as a present. It becomes a line, an irrevocable line where they are changed and transformed forever by the act of that gift to one another. And so 
like any um, person that has be- had bestowed love or been had love bestowed on that, we have um, these legal rights. We've become children of God. Now, what does it mean to have legal rights in that sense? Look, if you look back through the New Testament, you look at Roman adoption, you could, you could actually adopt someone as an adult. If someone was uh, had an incredibly massive estate, they had no kids, they couldn't have kids, uh, they, they could adopt an adult. And quite literally then and there, that adult, at that point in time, their debts were either cancelled or absorbed by the owner of the estate. At that point, even though they were an adult, that that, that father literally becomes the legal father and the child becomes the legal child and, and, they had, and that child now had rights to everything within that estate. The debts have been cancelled in that spiritual sense. It's what the Bible's getting at here. To be a Christian is to receive God's love bestowing on you like a marriage in such a way that all the rights have been bestowed to you and, and legally you've changed, your sins are wiped out, your debts are cancelled and God accepts you as perfect and blameless in his sight. As one of his own. Wow. Now, there's a challenge in all of that because many of us here are Christians and we go, that's cool. Yeah, do that. Next. Um, but, but there's a challenge. I saw it when, I think I've shared this with you before, I went and uh, we're doing the, the meet and greet, you know, the mingle time. We're always feeling a bit awkward because you've got to go and say hi to someone new. And, and so I went around and uh, said good day to, to the Van Benthams up the back of the church. And um, there was little Isabella of six months old, blonde hair and all, um, sucking on daddy's debit card. <laughs> and I thought, oh, sweet little thing, if only you knew what you've got in your hands. Just wait until 16 years later. <laughs> You see, Isabella had access to what was her right as a child of the father, to her inheritance, all of Shane's inheritance in that monetary sense, and she was treating it like a toy. She was sucking on it. See, it's, it's, it's one thing to know you have rights, but it's another thing to know and to experience that access to those rights. And so if you're a Christian, you stand upon those, you constantly preach and teach this to yourself. That's why John says, stop, behold, stop, look, take stock spiritually. You've got a right to an unimaginable inheritance, Christian. But unless you constantly remind yourself of what that is, you're no different than a six-year-old sucking daddy's debit card. Are you with me? We've got to be... Always moving back to this preaching to ourselves. Also, kids have not only legal rights, but access rights. Think of Obama's little girls over there in the White House. All his team of advisors and his chief of staff and all those other staff that you would know if you watched the West Wing. And you, you would, all these incredible staff around him, but uh, there would be all sorts of protective people around him that wouldn't allow him to go to certain appointments and be his gatekeepers. But there is one or two people in his life that would have access straight through any gatekeeper, no, how, no matter how big they were in the White House. And that was his two daughters. And it could be 3am in the morning, and if he heard the cry, Daddy, I want a drink of water. The most powerful man in the world would rise out of his bed and go to the tap of the kitchen and take it up to a bedroom. No, no one has that sort of access to a man like that, not even Mrs. Obama. When Sheila says, I want a drink of water, he'd probably say, go and get it yourself. But... Um, <laughs> Not me, I would, I would get up, I would, you know, I love my wife. But... <laughs> you've got legal rights, but you've got access rights to the Father. God makes Obama look, look like a street sweeper in that sense, you know. This is the God of the universe. And we can cry, Abba, Father, and he will run to us, whether it be a drink of water or a drink of spiritual 
water in that sense. When you're a kid of the king, you have incredible rights, legal rights, access rights because you're adopted. You're one of his kids. And here's the thing about family adoptions. And I love watching in this family at the moment and the way they are just growing in love for this um, young guy um, here at church. When they, when they brought him around, you can just see it in their eyes and the way they interact and Instagram that, that, <clears throat> that they love this little guy as if he was their own. And adopted families, that's the thing, right? If, you, if you've got the biological kids and that sort of stuff, it's the job of every adoptive parent to say to this kid, I, I will love you as if I'll spend my life helping you know that you were loved as equally as my own. And this is what gets me about this, this, this passage is because what John is saying to us through the word tonight is that when you place faith in Jesus Christ, God lavishes upon you a love that is every bit as intense, every bit as unchangeable, every bit as real, every bit as equal as his own son. The one that the Bible calls you know, no other equal, the one that is the fairest of them all, the one that was in perfect obedience to him. He loves you the same as him. And it means, you know what it means for you tonight? It means that God, when you place your faith in him, can love you no more in a million years from now. When you've been through all the spiritual courses that you could possibly do and you've read your Bible about 583,000 times, he could love you no more at this end of the spectrum than he does here tonight. How does that go when you're facing Christianity? trying, striving. We're not trying to be Christians here, guys. We're children of God. We're kids of the king. It's a position. It's a standing. And in light of all of that, then what incentive is there for the striving and the trying and that sort of stuff? That's what we see next. If you're a kid of the king, you not only have rights, but if you're a kid of the king, then you know you have responsibilities. I call this the Kate Middleton principle. You see, what else is there better to do on a summer holiday than watch B-grade movies? Like, seriously. And that's what I did. If you've got access to Foxtel, which is a great privilege, talk about rights of the parents-in-law. Um, <clears throat> I watched a B-grade movie. It was called William and Kate, the movie. And uh, it was a rip-snorter. And, um, and there was... <laughs> There, is, there, there was just a touching scene in this where we see Kate for the first time having to learn how to be a real princess. And, uh, and this mean old lady was there teaching her how to bow and curtsy and, uh, and address the, the queen and to sip cups of tea with a little pinky just exactly right in the right position. I'm thinking, what would, what would make her go through all of that? And you see her, Kate's behaviour, we see now, she's changed from the days in the catwalk. Uh, at university through to the waving of the hands uh, down the mall in London, her behaviour was in response to the significance and the visibility of her newfound position. Her behaviour was in response to the significance and the visibility of her newfound position. She'd gone from everyday person to royalty. She's a princess now. And see, the whole of this book, 1 John, is his reminder and his appeal to Christian holiness or, or difference or distinction, or to the Christian position. He's saying, if, if you, you, you're like a Kate, you've been raised, you are, you're a kid of the king, you're a prince, you're a princess. And so when John says that God calls us children, and that is what we are, you're God's kids, he's saying you not only have the legal status, but that's who you are. That's who you are now, that's a whole new life. A Christian is a kid of the king, not just by legalities, but by nature. By nature, that's it. you're not a kid just by legality. You see, by nature, and like for the lovely Kate, her, her behaviour doesn't earn her the position, right? 
It's not like 100 curtsies and you get to be the princess. It's the definitive line. Will has bestowed his love upon her. And she has all rights and access to it. But, but her behaviour is in response to her elevation to that position and the privilege. And after a while, all the waving and the curtsies and the smiles and the greetings actually become part of who she is. Yeah. Let me put it another way. Kids, right? Kids are often a reflection of their parents. That's why uh, when I was in primary school, in year five, one of these meanie teachers came up to me. I didn't know who she was. And she said, you must be one of those Haddon kids. I'm thinking, how do you know? She said, because you're wearing a tie. And that is because me and my little brother were the only two boys in all of Beacon Hill Primary School that had to wear a tie in the summertime. (laughs) I know. That was before bullying was a big issue on Seven Sunrise. And... (laughs) And, and so I would always have to wear this, and I would plead with him, please don't make me wear the tie. But he would always say to me, you're a Haddon kid. You were going to wear a tie to school. And of course, remember, your behaviour in the real world affects your identity, and I didn't want to be one of those dorky kids with a tie. So each day I'd get to school and I'd just loosen it a little bit more. <laughs> and, and I'd get to school the next week and I'd loosen it a little bit more until one day it was sort of hanging right half off my neck. And, and the, one thing happened to me that... That is, the fear of all kids are wanting to do the right thing by, by their parents. As I came uh, running around the corner from a game of bull rush, as I looked into the canteen, I realised that mum was on canteen. And my life went into slow motion like something out of the Matrix. I'm like... <sighs> <laughs> but it was too late. She saw the tie was off, it was different, I got home. Dad was so disappointed. We had a big sit down and a talk. I said, Dad, why, why? And he said, son, you'll always re- you're a hat and you'll always wear a tie. You're a reflection of who I am in that school playground. <laughs> Guys, look, whether you're still actually in school, wear a tie. It's cool. Or, or whether you're at the water fountain on Monday, whether you're at Friday night drinks this week. My question to you, are you loosening the tie? When the Bible talks about Christian holiness, it's saying you're a reflection of your father. You're a kid of the king. And our behaviour doesn't dictate our position. It doesn't make you any more loved by the Father. Remember, he can't love us any more than he would in a million years' time. But it's how we witness and it's how we're different. It's how we reflect who the real Father is. To be a Christian is to receive God's love in such a way that we're not only legally changed, so our sins are wiped out, debts are cancelled, we're accepted, but we're actually changed. We're renewed, so that injection of his nature, so we want to wear the tie, so we can be a true reflection of who the ultimate father really is. Christian obedience is not the means to our identity, but it's the overflow of that identity. You're a kid of the king, you've got responsibilities, like Kate. Guys, finally, kids, kids of the king know... (laughs) Not only that they've got rights, and know that they're, not only they've got responsibilities, but they know who they really are. It's saying here, if you're a child now, you understand that right now you aren't all that you are meant to be. Listen to verse 2. Dear friends, now that we're children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know, it, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's saying if you're a child now, you understand that you're not all that you're meant to be. Right now. I mean, if, if life was a movie 
If your life was a movie, this would be the airport scene with Kate Hudson and someone else in it. Or, I mean, if your life was a symphony, this would be the great chord with the clashing cymbal bit at the end of it that you sort of nod out of your slumber from in the middle of it. Like, that's, this is the chord that you would be aiming for. I mean, if your life was a Tamagotchi, this would be the digital program for which you were written. And that is that there is a destination of your life all of God's creation, that is to see him as he is, to meet God face to face. And not only that, gazing upon him face to face and seeing him face to face. It's such a mind-numbing, mind-blowing experience. It will transform you. It will change the very person that you are. What kind of experience is that? Is that to, to, to even hope for it changes who you are? It must be it was so incredible, so intense so massive that I, I, I feel that I'm going to just put it the wrong way tonight and, and not get it across. I hope the Holy Spirit will just walk it out. But I think of it really as the gospel according to Beauty and the Beast. You know, I'm not talking the fairy tale. I'm talking the classic Disney movie, 1991, with, uh, with a great soundtrack with Celine Dion, Peebo Bryson. And the story of Beauty and the Beast, if you haven't seen that wonderful Disney movie, I'm taking it that most of you have. We've got a few nods there, yeah. Is, uh, it's about a young prince who comes underneath the spell of an evil woman who, uh, because he didn't obey her, turns him into an ugly beast. And he's confined to a faraway castle and he's given a rose whereby he must love and be loved in return before all of the rose petals have fallen off. Otherwise, he'll remain a beast forever. And, and for years, he's confined in this loveless place in this castle until the beautiful, the gorgeous young Belle comes along, a French fair maiden who uh, stumbles upon this castle and, and whilst it's a tumultuous start, uh, she eventually gets to know him a little bit better and hangs out in his library and, and this gorgeous girl and this beast become friends after uh, the months or the years, so to speak, pass. And in the final scene, this, this, uh, this jealous human guy comes and he stabs the beast from behind and the beast falls off one of the balconies and and he falls pretty much to his death. And just before the beast succumbs to his wounds, Belle runs across and whispers that she loves him, breaking the spell just as the last rose petal falls. And the beast, in this wonderful moment of Disney animation, long before they had Pixar and high-definition stuff, the beast begins to, to transform to this wonderful soundtrack and beams of light radiating out, radiating out of who he is and, and ugly hands turn into fingers and ugly faces turn into handsome young prince again and, and disgusting toes turn into the strong legs of a young man and the prince is finally revealed for who he really is. The gospel is this, guys, that, that our true self... Our true self has been locked beneath a spell, beneath a, a persona of ugliness, and we too can't unlock this spell and this trap until we've fallen in love and are loved by a, a true beauty that comes from the outside and sees us in all of the ugliness and loves us for who we really are. To be a kid of the king is to know who you really are. And on one hand, this might sound really slack, but all of us, anyone that calls themselves a Christian, recognise that at one level, if we're real with ourselves, that we are a beast. That we are not all that we could be. That there are imperfections, that there are sins in our life, that we are not all that God has created to be. I mean, even Paul, the, the great Apostle Paul, says in Romans 7, right, Oh, what a wretched man I am. That the things I want to do, I don't do. 
he recognized that he was a beast at one level. But that's not all there is. That's not all there is to the gospel. Verse 2 in this passage says, And what will be has not yet been made known. On the other hand, your true self as a Christian has been hidden from view for all those years. The beastly person is not who we really are. We're princes and we're princesses hidden under this spell of entrapment, eagerly awaiting our transformation. Paul says the same way, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your mind on the things above. Set your heart on the things above. Because for your life, which is, is hid with Christ, will be revealed at the end of time when he is revealed in glory. That's your true life. That's the transformation that a Christian or a kid of the king awaits. Guys, what am I trying to say? Jesus is the true bell. Jesus is the true beauty who's come in from the faraway village into the dark confines of our castle today. He looks deeper than our outer image and he whispers at the cross. In the death that we're currently dying slowly, I love you. Guys, we only have so many petals remaining in our life. We must love and receive that ultimate love in return before we too can be transformed into the likeness of our hidden selves. Are you more than just friends with Jesus tonight? Do you love Jesus tonight? Have you received the love of Jesus tonight? You can be. You can do that. And as Lumiere the candle said, be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. That's what it's all about. Every time we come here on a Sunday is to call people to the great story that is the gospel and the transformation and the revelation progressively of what is not fully known now but will one day be. Guys, as I finish, let me put it another way. If that was a bit punsy for some of the boys. <laughs> C.S. Lewis puts it like this. There are no mere mortals. He says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you may talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw them now, you would strongly be tempted to fall down and worship. It's in the light of this overwhelming possibility and it's with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Guys, if you're seeking a life of significance tonight... I pray that God, through his spirit, might give you a revelation of that incredible identity. Where are you sourcing identity? If you've got an identity that's fitting you like a bad set of heels, there are no mere mortals. You can be something that is so unimaginably breathtaking that if you caught a glimpse of who you really are in the mirror tomorrow, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship yourself. Trust me, I have a hard enough time as it is at the moment. <laughs> Guys, um... Uh, do you get your true identity? You either are or you can be a kid of the king. Uh, only until you have fallen in love with the true beauty that has come from the outside, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you love him tonight? You can do that. To be a Christian is to be a kid of the king. Know your rights. Live responsibly. And rejoice in the fact that the best of you is yet to come. Let's pray.